some stuff happens. <laughs> Holy shit. Welcome to another after show stream. I am Joe Magician, as it says right here. So, a lot of people died in pretty horrible ways. A lot of fire. A lot of fire. Yeah. Luckily, I live tweeted this one. It's almost like I don't even know where to start. Like, where should I start, guys? What should we talk about first? I feel like should maybe talk about the whole kinslaying thing. I feel like that's that's probably top of the list for this channel at this point. Laris just, yeah. <laughs> Laris killed Arwen and Lionel. That was a choice. I sort of thought that one. I, I think I did a stream a while back on Laris where I proposed, I was like, I, I think Laris probably did it. Or did I? I don't know. I, I was talking to somebody recently, but yeah. <laughs> the after the episode on Laris was fascinating. So, it's one of those things where it's they sort of set up Laris to be kind of like a what's the right term for it? It's kind of like a like a dark genie or something like that where he will grant your wishes but in ways that you do not want. And I think that's that's kind of what happened there. Oh, thank you, Morally. $50 super chat. Really appreciate it. just a show of love and support. Thank you all for the fabulous content. I, I Thank you so much, Maura. That's very, very generous of you. A funny thing in the patron Slack, Sanrixian came in and said, I no longer have a crush on Laris. The, uh, yeah, the, it's like a monkey's paw thing. Laris the monkey's paw and the clubfoot, I guess. Yeah. So what happened there is that Allison basically said she wished that she had kind of auto to back her. And Laris Strong takes that and goes like, oh, well, okay, well, I can make that happen for you. I, I know how to make auto hand again. I'll just kill my father and my brother. Totally normal. Like, yeah, he is. I always, I thought he was really crazy, but he is, he is bananas. That's like, they went full Ramsey Bolton on that one. That was like when Ramsey went and killed Walda and her son and Roos all in the course of like two scenes. That is how you do, that is how you put Laris strong into the episode. This is actually something that came up a bunch on my, my video about Laris, is that some people, I think, got the wrong impression that Laris was a good guy, or that he was not going to be a complete psycho in this show. Oh no, he's insane. He's always been insane. Like, he is a, he has always been a terrible person from Fire and Blood. I, I wasn't sure he was going to go that far. To be fair, killing your father and brother in order to not even like not even for like anything tangible that's the thing that really gets me like he's not going to go take heron hall he did it to make allison happy but also they talked about this in the after the episode ryan condal explained it more and he said that the main reason he did it is well not the main reason but a big reason that laris killed harwin and laris i mean how harwin and lionel is that he wanted to have leverage over Allison forever that he wanted to entrap her in his schemes and make sure that he has a lot more control over what she and the greens are doing in the future and boy boy is that uh, yeah to hold it over her head which is kind of an interesting thing because it's when you look at Allison she has Kristen on one side who's trying to essentially be like the good guy paladin sort of guy but on the other side you have Laris who's just this unhinged psychopath. But yeah, <laughs> blood and cheese in the chat. I already thought that might have been a thing that Laris was involved with. Now I am sure. I have no problem believing that he would go through with that in the future. Now, I already thought it was a possibility because he is just crazy and he is a 
He is a killer in the worst way. Oh boy. Oh yeah. A lot of Laris the Green Seer stuff in this one. So once again, they played with the, I have a, I have a video I have written, but I was waiting for this episode to, to see what they put out because that was, it actually happened with my last one, the, the Laris the Green Seer one. I put it out and then the next episode came and they gave me a whole bunch of evidence of what I just, what I just talked about. Like all the stuff with the weirwood face and the things that he's saying and the way that he's playing people. I'm like, I wish I had seen this episode before I made this video. It would have been a lot more effective, although a ton of people watched it. Thank you, by the way. Thanks everyone that enjoyed the, the, the Laris, the, the green seer video. We're going back to that. Well, oh boy, there is a lot going on there. We, we are not done. So the Laris thing is they did another J cut or J cut. It's going to look wrong on your screen. looks like an L cut there where they had Laris once again, narrating underneath footage happening somewhere else. They did that with the weirwood face. They're doing that again here. And as he starts speaking, you, I don't know if you guys caught this. I hope you did just that little rat just came into his bedroom and just walked along the mantelpiece while he just kind of looked at it kind of strangely. Like, what is that thing? What is a rat doing in here? Like. That looks crazy, but again, there's his voice coming from something that leads to the idea that he may be a green seer. Also, I was listening to what he was saying, and he is, he is something else. Yes, thank you, Morley. Yes, please like, share, and subscribe. I'm gonna have to go back and watch that scene, because I want to catch everything he said, because I was just like, <gasps> rat. And then right at the end, he was playing with another red blossom, the Malvelis. I think he called it in the previous episode. That was, that came back again, so once again, they're associate now they're associating Laris with the rats. Then they're reinforcing the association with the the plant with the red leaves, which again reminds you of a, a weirwood. So I'm gonna update that video. I was I was probably gonna release tomorrow. We're gonna be rewriting part of it and we're we're coming back. Oh boy, there's gonna be a lot of content there. Yeah, yeah, Karina Strick. Completely nuts episode. Unbelievable. Oh god, I have a lot of Twitter notifications. Did I send you something terrible again? I hope not. Oh, it's the Eamon thing. Oh, Eamon and Helena. Oh, we're going to get to that. We're not done. Um, Snow, can I buy stock in Joe Magician? <laughs> Apparently, if you get on the ground floor of the Laris's Green Seer stuff, we're going to the moon. Oh, my God. I don't think I'm canceled. Oh, that's why Joanna Robinson just tweeted at me. That, that, that'll that do it. I don't know if you guys were listening to The Ringer. Joanna Robinson and Mallory Rubin, they gave a pretty large shout out to the Laris is a dream is a green green seer theory. Joe's on board. We're going to get Mallory, but I think after this one, I don't think I'm going to have to do any more to convince her. I think we got it. We got it guys. Yeah. The diamond hands Laris going to the moon. That is not, I guess that's one takeaway from Laris in this episode. I mean, like there's, there's two of them. It's that he clearly believes in the whole have to break eggs to make an omelet. One thing actually, since we're talking about it, the that Laris killed Harwin and Lionel is there wasn't really a hint that he really didn't like them at all or that he would be totally willing to do this. In the previous episode, we saw him and Harwin sitting together kind of like thick as thieves talking. We didn't really get any interaction with Lionel and Laris at all. So this one really just kind of came out of nowhere. It, it really was just meant to be shocking. And also that he apparently has his own like secret society of clubfoot men, I guess. Is that what's going on there? Did you see that? They had the little pin, I think, with like his, his club foot on it. So he cuts out their tongues and then pardons them for their crimes and sends them out to do more crimes while wearing his pin. I don't know. I think take off the pin, guys. I feel like that's going to get you caught. That is going to get you caught. But yeah, I think like especially because the 
on the website, they talked about Harwin and it said like, he is incredibly protective of Laris, that he loves his brother, that he's his great protector. And there's, there was really nothing about Lionel and Laris. So, I mean, it is, I guess it's pure sociopath, but it would have been, I don't know. I'm gonna have to go back and look at those scenes, but it really did just kind of come out of nowhere that Laris is like, oh yeah, I guess I'll just kill my father and brother, whatever, no big deal. And not even for Harren Hall. Like, I think he says that at the end of his speech where he's just like, I, w I want a prize bigger than Harren Hall. And, and it's to, to be in, to basically have power over Allison going forward. I think the one thing that if you're, if we're comparing this to other Kinslayers in the show, from at least from Game of Thrones, when you're talking about Ramsay Bolton and his, his murder of his father and his brother as well, as long as his stepmother, oh, was it a B? I thought I thought it was his foot, his little foot thing, is like his metal foot or whatever. I thought that's what it was. But it had been kind of hinted at for quite a while that Ramsay was feeling pretty murderous and that he might totally be willing to kill everybody to take the lordship of of uh, the Dreadfort. Laris just kind of came out of nowhere. I was just like, done with him. Let's do this. So I, he's going to be the huge villain. If you, a lot of people were saying in response to my video as well, it's like, oh, he's the new Varys and Littlefinger. And I kind of kept saying like, no, he is far more than either of those two guys. He is incredibly, he has an incredibly savage personality and he is not really, really morally bankrupt. Was it a B on his cane? Looked like a maggot. I'm going to have to freeze frame that one. Go take a look. I'm not really sure what it is. So... Okay, so let's go back to the beginning of the episode now that we've had Laris talk. Of course, we're having Laris talk. I love Laris talk. So the episode opens and they have Rhaenyra looking extremely like her mother, Emma, kind of maybe wearing the same clothes. Her hair looks the same. She's very sweaty. She's going through childbirth, gives birth to Joffrey. We didn't see Daron the Daring in this one. I'm not sure where, if he's going to come up at all. Oh, it's a beetle? Yeah, I'm going to have to double check that one. And I had made a tweet earlier this week when that scene came out of like where Mira gets out of bed with Lainor and she goes up to see Allison because and she's like well Allison wanted to see the baby right away and me being charitable I was like okay like maybe maybe Allison didn't mean right away maybe she just said like as soon as you can come up I want to see the baby clearly being unkind to Rhaenyra and the idea is that she's going to want to see if it looks like Lenor or not, but not right away. That one is completely chopped off, completely savage request from Alicent. Immediately show her the baby right now. Lenor doing his best to support his wife in these trying times, getting her up the stairs. There's actually a really good moment when they're going through the hallway. Well, the, the dialogue between them is great, where <laughs> Lenor's trying to be helpful and Rhaenyra's having none of it. Awesome stuff there. Somebody is coming up to the two of them. Lenor is like literally holding on to Rhaenyra and somebody's like, oh, hey, Lenor, congratulations. And he just goes like, thanks, man. And this like keeps moving. That is going to be the world's best gif of him doing that. Really brutal scene. And then of course, Kristen barring the way just to make sure that they, dr they drive home that yes, Kristen is now Allison's pet at this point. I tacked it to make sure the baby isn't swapped. Wow, that would be a crazy move, especially when you have Laris in your in your back pocket. No way they were pulling that one off. She did seem generally shocked that Rhaenyra brought the baby, but even still, it is a crazy ask. Then there's you get the famous scene where Allison very quietly and Leonor says, "Keep trying." 
I'm sure we'll get one that looks like you. But I think the reaction that was really interesting is that Viserys, very similar to his book personality, was just like, hey, another grandchild. High five on that one, Rhaenyra. Way to go. A beautiful, strong boy. No, he, he didn't say strong. He said sturdy. I think he said sturdy, which is... I thought Allison was going to say that. I totally thought that's what she was going to say in response to seeing the kid. Instead, Viserys says it, but I'm not sure if he meant it that way. I couldn't make heads or tails of this. Okay, guys, I'm going to put this in the chat. We're going to make a poll of this. Does Viserys know that Rhaenyra kids aren't Lanors? Because he went full on in denial mode when anybody brought it up to him. And I, I do think that he probably knows, right? He has to know. And he's just like, well, they're Rhaenyra's and that's the important part, I guess, which would be kind of a crazy oversight for, for him because obviously he knows they're, they're bastard children and the seven kingdoms hates bastard children. Also, Viserys was upright. Hey, he wasn't weakened at Bernie's his way through this episode kind of was. Was, did not seem to be all there, was not really into the small council, just sort of like was excited about his grandchild and then excited about play, working on his model and then just kind of just kind of pieced out on that one. Do you think Viserys is going, Emma says, Viserys is doing full Tywin willful blindness, but with more evidence to ignore. It really got shoved in his face this episode. Like he had to know what Lionel was saying to him. He had to. The beetle pins double as a cyanide pill. I didn't catch that at all. Viserys is just is just totally checked out. Okay, 93% saying yes, Viserys knew. I think that's probably that's probably right. Is his whole arm gone now? It did look kind of withered. He he didn't fall down. That was good. He definitely has chairs everywhere for him to sit in. They have stacked the entire place with chairs for him to sit down, especially out in the training yard. That was an interesting one. Prince of Philip vibes. Yeah, he was looking a little bit like the Crypt Keeper in this one. Viserys does not look like he has a lot of days left. Oh, Viserys is healthier because the Grand Maester got replaced. That's right. Melos is gone. It's a while is now taking care of him. That would make a lot of sense if he actually got better with Melos gone, which I think would disprove the Maester conspiracy, right? I made that whole video about like maybe Melos is trying to kill him or maybe Melos just sucks. If, if Orwell has drastically improved Viserys' condition 10 years later, then I think it's fair to say that no, the Maesters were not trying to kill Viserys. Melos was terrible. And also the idea that he doesn't care that the kids are not Lanors and that they're breakbones is, is consistent with his character and his characterization in Fire and Blood, where he just kind of goes like, yeah, just don't don't call them strongs, but they're definitely my grandkids, so I don't really care, which is an admirable trait, considering the way most other people deal with uh, bastards. Oh yeah, slam that like button, you guys. If we get up to 100 likes, silly hat time, 125, I'll give away a t-shirt, 125 likes. Hello. And then 150 different silly hat. That's those are the stakes we got going here. Yeah, fire mellows. <laughs> I guess I guess he just sucked. And also the yeah, also the midwives, apparently with Mellos' departure having way more success with delivering kids. So I'm I'm just saying it's probably Mellos was the 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 what is it? The common denominator with a lot of bad treatment and deaths in the Red Keep. He was just bad at it, I guess. <laughs> because the if everybody's health improves after he leaves, then maybe he was trying to do something, but definitely not the Maesters in general. Orwell seems to have turned that ship around.
Westeros hates adoption. They really do. Unless you're Ned Stark. Ned Stark, the only one that's okay with adoption. Let's see here. Then we go back to, and we get to see the strong boys, as it were. We get to see Jace. We get to see Ceres. Obviously, Joffrey was in the first few scenes. But I was curious about this. How are they, how are they going to have Harwin integrated into the family unit kind of the way he is? And they chose an interesting choice. He didn't. He wasn't Rhaenyra's sworn shield. He was still a commander of the gold cloaks, but instead he was a sort of babysitter all the time. That, that's the vibe I got. Are you guys, do you guys agree with that? That he was just kind of like babysitting the kids a lot, <laughs> which seemed kind of strange. Kristen sort of noted that, that, you know, it's, it's really weird for somebody to have a interest in random kids that they aren't related to. And then that all happens. Yeah, I guess when Lenor's away and Rhaenyra's busy, Harwin just gets dumped with his kids and he takes care of them. Oh, interesting. With Lena, men leading the birth unsuccessful. Huh. That could be true. They really looked like him. Good casting there. Every one of those kids looked like they could have been Ryan Kor's sons. Yeah, d definitely frequently. There's the scene at the end where Jace, a heartbreaking scene where he looks after Harwin and like wants to run after him. So clearly they, there's a long-term relationship there that I am not sure how they were explaining at court why this random commander of the gold cloaks is just hanging around all the time. The sworn shield thing, maybe that maybe they had that going for Rhaenyra too. Uh, the thing was when he did that, he left the gold cloaks because they were on Dragonstone. So they kind of mixed that part up. They had it happening within the Red Keep in order to kind of, oh, I'm sorry, I missed the super chat. Steven Stark, $5. Lots of how strong in this episode. Isn't Matt happy boy? Yeah, there was a lot of how strong they they, they did a lot with the lines they were given, and then they definitely got shuffled off this mortal coil, and that and we're left with Laris, Laris the complete psychopath. Seemed like it wasn't his job. He said how he thought it would be good to leave him by a dragon pit by himself by an egg. I I'm not sure what that relationship was, but it was kind of sweet to seeing Harwin hanging out with his sons. And that was kind of a question from Fire and Blood was what was exactly his relationship to the three of them? We heard that he was in the birthing bed with all three of his sons. I mean, not the birthing bed, the birthing room. That'd be kind of weird if he climbed in the bed with her in here. <laughs> She's giving birth. But there's no real thought to the idea that the strong boys had a close relationship and in fact when they've when they're accused of it they they deny it whereas here it seems to be the other way that they sort of sense a kinship with harwin and they kind of notice that he takes care of them quite a lot little trainer yeah he's the tennis pro that that's the usual excuse isn't it is their karate teacher hang out with her mom and then we get the scene that uh, the line that I think Sanrixian would live to hear back to the dragon pit with you. Apparently as a part of their training, they are daily learning how to command and ride dragons. It's become, it's like a little dragon Hogwarts, I guess. That's what's going on there. They're learning Hyvalian. They're learning the commands. They're understanding how to take care of their dragons. Distant relationship like Jamie. I would say that was a closer re relationship that Harwin had to those kids than and Jamie had to his. Like, I don't think any of his kids had any idea, right? He was like totally absent. It seems like Harwin's actually trying to be their dad. And then we get to see the inside of the dragon pit. They apparently bring out the dragons on like, it was so straight out of Jurassic World. I couldn't believe it. Like they had this like 
this whole system of like chain set in the middle and there were fire around the outside you could see on the outs like on the outside of the dragon pit it looked like there were uh, there were like places for people to sit like it was a stadium and they just sort of bring one dragon out and they all stand around while the while the kid tries to figure it out jace was very sweet with oh god what's the name of his dragon just oh his name's just by the way i'm calling him jace because that's what everyone calls him but his name is just which actually was one of the things allison mentioned that after Luceris and Joceris, now her third kid's just being named Joffrey, a not Valyrian name. Although there are technically Valar, I guess. Mallory, are you there? What is the name of Jace's dragon? Tyraxes? I really need to do that video so I can actually learn this stuff. Vermax, that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Steven. Also, a big part of this episode is we learned that nobody likes Aemond. <laughs> Everybody hates him. Oh, 100 likes. Hang on a second. Silly hat time. There we go. Vermax little vermax thank you guys for slamming that like button yeah they they really made Aegon look like a dick it was also interesting that he actually gets along with jason luke way more than he does aemond the whole the the pink dread that was that was a sick burn not a nice one that was a good one considering you know what's obviously going to happen to them they're they've heavily foreshadowed it's like barely a spoiler at this point obviously there's going to be a succession crisis but it is interesting that they had Aegon getting along with his half-brothers or his nephews? What is their exact relationship? <laughs> yeah, I think those are his nephews. Thank you. It is a very good germ hat. So yeah, Aemon's this like a little weird kid and nobody likes him. Not even his siblings. Everyone just kind of picks on him. And I guess at this point it is canon that they're making fun of him for not having a dragon. They're going to be, you know, fixing that one shortly. But uh, well, if you watch the the next episode so they get a pig this is actually a pretty good prank in terms of like the execution of it they went down to the dragon pit ahead of time grabbed the pig put a whole bunch of like sticks or something on the pig tied it to it and then had it like walk out at the right time like did they get the dragon pit people in on it i'm not really sure how they Oh no, Jay, Luke went to go get it, so they had it sitting somewhere nearby. Great prank, guys. Like, A-plus execution. You're going to be on Spike TV next. Oh, we're getting to Aegon in the window. Oh, there's zero chance we're not talking about that insane scene. So, yeah, Aemon's really upset about it. It is it is a sick burn, also quite a cruel thing to do. And you compare that, obviously, with what happens with Reyna and Bela over in Pentos later. We see a Damon and Lena's kids where nobody's picking on Reyna for not having a dragon yet, but, you know, they're instead encouraging her, and Lena's like, picking her up and saying, like, hey, you don't have to hatch one, you can claim one, that kind of thing. Nobody's saying that to Eamon, they're just giving him shit. Although it is the kind of thing that little boys do, just being assholes. Super chat from Arya Stark. $2, what do you think about Laris killing his own family? He is even more insane than I ever thought. Well, that's not true. Okay. So I did consider that he def that he was behind the murder, but the reasoning for it is a lot less than I thought would be there. He just like straight up, like without a second thought, he's like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'll kill my family. <laughs> just just going to work it out. No big deal. But I thought the the aftermath of the pink dread scene was really, really interesting because they dropped out the the audio for a second and you, as Eamon started walking down into the dragon pit where they have the caverns for the dragons that are... Everyone knows your Aegon shirt that goes on a list. 
Yeah, hang on. They did not. He he was he. They portrayed him as a bastard in this one. They portrayed him as a real asshole. I think the first shot we have of him was just him yawning, just going like, Ugh. it's like, oh yeah, that's that's the guy they're gonna go for. But Aemon, after the other boys walk away, he walks down into the dragon pit, and you can hear just below the sounds of like the dragons breathing. There's almost like singing or a song or something like that. I'm definitely gonna have to go back and watch this again, but I heard it through my TV. So I am wondering if this is foreshadowing that Aemond himself can hear like the songs of dragons, or maybe if we are like inside his head and that when he hears dragons roaring, instead he hears music or he hears them singing. Cause that's definitely a thing from a song of ice and fire that, that Danny describes them singing into the night and how beautiful it is. There definitely is a lot of strangeness and magic around Aemond as a character. So it's interesting that they're starting here. The idea that as he's walking down into the dragon pit, he can hear singing and music. That's a really weird thing to do if it's not foreshadowing something, and I'm pretty sure it is. Also works as well with comparing Aemond to other weird little kids who are getting bullied, who suddenly have like attachments to the magical world like that is so common in george's world i would be surprised about it yeah the night came alive with the music of dragons it sounded like aemon was hearing it so maybe the kid has dragon dreams doesn't didn't sound like anybody else could hear it yeah aemon is a is a aemon is a very interesting character coming up make sure keep your keep your eyes focused on him so we cut back to the red keep after aemon goes down there he's he tries to approach a dragon i couldn't really see which one it was it was the one from the promo shot that i thought was with daemon i guess it wasn't the the dragon roars and it looks and it breathes fire almost as like to tell aemon to go away to screw off which is also kind of an interesting thing going on there and he gets like singed or something like that he goes back home and we see Allison hanging out with uh, Helena, the, her second child. So the kids go Aegon, Helena, Aemond, Daron. We didn't see Daron. He's coming up, I guess. And Helena's just kind of like playing with bugs and she's like talking about how many different legs they have and stuff like that. Oh yeah, Emma, we're talking about that right now. We're talking about Helena. So kind of like a almost like an OCD or maybe like a what's the right word for it like it's almost like a patch face kind of thing going on with her where it seems like she's kind of disconnected from the things going on around her that it seems like Helena is Allison keeps trying to reach her and can't really understand what she's saying I, I, I autism maybe maybe is that what I think that's what they were drawing on I'm not really sure oh hey Amanda how's it going a dragon is sunfire dreamfire I would guess sunfire because Aegon doesn't like Aemond and he says so. So if it was Sunfire, that would make sense if he reacted to seeing Aemond. Yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly what they were going for with Helena with that one, but definitely she has a whole collection of bugs and she likes talking about the different pieces of them and how many like different scales they have and legs and stuff like that. And she's counting them in her head. Yeah, on the spectrum or something like that. Maybe that's the nicer or the better way to say it. So Aemond comes back. Allison's trying, actually Olivia Cook said this, that <laughs> Allison's kids are all weird. Yeah, that 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 is true. So, Eamon runs runs back, comes up to Allison, and she asks what's going on, and he tells her about the pink dread and the pig, and he's very very hurt that he hasn't been able to get a dragon yet, and that Aegon and Jason Luke are teasing him about it, and then he says something about like I don't know when I'm or Allison says like you'll get a dragon someday, or Eamon says something like that, and. They cut to Helena, and just under her breath, she says, you'll have to close an eye. Okay, 
So spoiler talk here. I'm going to give you guys, if you're watching this on replay, 10 seconds to, to mute this because yeah, it's going to count off 10 in my head. So as will come up in the next episode, Aemond is known in the fandom as Aemond One-Eye because after Lena's funeral, he gets into a scuffle with Jason Luke. Actually, Joffrey's supposed to be there, but he's too young at this point to do it. And he again to a fight and they shove each other. And it has to do with the fact that Aemon got on Vagar and he was able to ride Vagar after Lena's death. So one of them pulls out a knife and slashes at Aemon and takes out his eye. And it ends up being this like defining thing of him where his eye is replaced with a sapphire, I think. So Helena, for some reason, knows ahead of time that Aemon is going to lose his eye in order to claim a dragon. So we're talking dragon dream stuff. Helena is a, dr a dragon dreamer. She can see into the future just like her father could. But it's also, these are, this isn't the same as, Vis as Viserys. He had one dream and that was it. And he kept trying to have it. He kept trying to have it come back. But apparently Helena is having just dreams all the time of random stuff that happened to is happening in the future. Kind of like we see from Daron the dreamer in the future. So yeah, watch Helena. What's going on here. Much like patch face and different kind of characters. It seems like they're going to have her be kind of a, a bridge to the future. Oh yeah. They did talk about the Sapphires as large as walnuts. Oh, thanks for coming Morley. Okay. So actually somebody in the chat named Harry give a wave when the spoiler talk is done. So, one thing, one last thing I'm going to say about Helena being a dragon dreamer, I may make a video about this, is that I want to see her interact with Lara Strong. I want to know what she thinks of him. I think that would be the most fascinating use of the character, and it might confirm quite a lot of things. And yes, that's that's true. She Helena just said it unprompted. Nobody was talking to her. She's just like, you're going to have to close an eye, or you'll have to close an eye. Okay, so here we go. Spoiler talk is over. There we go. Oh, a super chat from a sweet militia. Can we talk about? Yeah. Okay. I already did that one. Oh, sorry. We are at 129 likes. See what that means. It is shirt giveaway time. I'm gonna have to put that in the video somehow, like spoiler talk or something. I accidentally spoiled some people with a previous live stream and I felt bad about it. Okay. So keyword bugs <laughs> type bugs in chat. If you want to live, I'm a bad typer. So we'll roll that one in five minutes. Okay. Type bugs if you want to win a t free t-shirt from my Patreon shop. Or I mean, not, uh, my Threadless shop, threadless.com slash Joe Magician. All right, so where were we? Okay, so what is my Twitter? At the Joe Magician. It should be in the description of all my videos. Also, if you've won recently, like I'll say within like the last six months to a year, don't enter. Just out of courtesy to everyone else. Not that many people enter, so you have a pretty high chance, to be honest. Don't have to spam it. Just say bugs once and you'll be in there. Helena's bugs. So yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about Aegon and his morning ritual. <laughs> what the fuck was that? So Aegon to start his day. I don't know if he does this every day. Allison didn't see that surprised about it. He just strips naked, walks into his window and just starts jerking off. That's a move, I guess. I'm not, I think it's. I've never seen that before. Obviously, the 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 thing that they were trying to get you to think about was Tommen's jump from uh, Game of Thrones. You see a blonde kid in a window. You think he's about to jump. Instead, he's stripped naked and just jacking off completely into the breeze. I'm 
I've never tried it. Maybe it's a very freeing thing to do. I imagine I would get arrested. The characterization for him in this episode is really poor in terms of, oh, Homelander did it. Is that a Homelander reference? Oh, that would make a lot of sense. Just jerking on the crowd. Aegon looks like a complete asshole throughout this entire episode. He bullies his little brother. He just yawns when Jace is trying to tame a dragon like it's like it's whatever no big deal who gives a shit and then the next thing we see is him just jacking off out of a window and it doesn't get better for Aegon he continues to be an ass actually he even tries to sneak out of it when Alicent confronts him by the way again not about the fact that he's jacking off out the window she confronts him about the fact that he sent made the pig to make fun of Aemond that was the highlight there <laughs> Jeez. yeah yeah, the ass waffle shirt is pretty good. Allison confronts him about it, and Aegon doesn't even own up to it. He blames it on Jace. He says that it was all Jace's idea. He was just going along with it, which is insane because he is quite clearly like four to five years older than Jace. He kicks his ass later in the episode. Can't take responsibility. He's doing crazy deviant things. Yeah, if if you were wondering about like if you were like on the fence. Like, ah, I I'm not really a big fan of Rhaenyra, like, you know, like she's pissing off people. She's kind of entitled. She's a little, she's a, she's being an uppity teenager kind of thing. Like they just buried the needle on unlikable teenagers with, with Aegon. So yeah, good luck with that one. <laughs> the rightful king. And Alicent just tries to do that where she like grabs him by the ears and like, it's like, you're going to be the king one day. Don't be such a fuck up. Not, not a good sign that the future king has to be reminded that don't pick on your little brother stop doing what you're doing like take things seriously Aegon doesn't take things seriously he just seems kind of like a, a kind of a jerk not straight up joffrey joffrey was overtly like there's really bad stories from a song of ice and fire about like the way he would bully his his siblings and how he would kill a cat joffrey just seems i mean Aegon just seems like a prick more yes more likable than joffrey still not good oh yeah make sure to like the stream guys 250 likes we're putting on a different silly hat if actually, I've actually gotten a lot of new subs recently. You haven't seen this hat yet. It's a good hat. It's also foreshadowing that Aegon is very much like his father. We heard the story from him and Damon that when they were younger, they used to go out into the brothels and, you know, go through the street of silk up and down and getting laid every five minutes. Yeah, Aegon's that kind of guy. So get ready for that one. I mean, we should, you should, can guess that, that apparently his morning ritual is to jack off out a window. So he's going to be high on the doing weird, sexy things. Oh, I'm sorry. I have to roll the thing. Let's go here. That Lola 35. Congratulations. You can send me a tweet at, at the Joe magician, or you can send me an email to ask magician at gmail.com. I will send you a code and you can pick yourself up from my pick yourself something up from my threadless shop. Congratulations. Claps in the chat. There you go. Then they, they go back. Then they go to Pentos. And we get to see Vagar and Caraxes, and it seems like Damon and Lena are doing like almost like a show. Although I think they said they just came back from burning a fleet or something like that, but they're definitely playing. You get to see Vagar, you get to see Caraxes, and holy shit, is Vagar enormous. I thought, I in my head, I was like, well, you know, Caraxes looks pretty big, and Caraxes is significantly bigger than Cyrax, so like... How big can Vagar really be? And she is unbelievably huge. She is like a battleship in the sky. And she has those weird like hair things coming off of her, coming down her back. I'm not quite, were those like tendrils or something? Still able to fly. Lena's 
foreshadowing from the earlier episode that she really likes Vagar and wants to know where she let nests paid off. She found the biggest dragon in the world and totally tamed her. Yeah, chonky Vagar, huge Vagar, never seen anything like it. I can't even imagine what the size of Blair and the Black Dread was if that's the size Vagar is. Yeah, body is absurd. That is peak, peak physical condition, peak dragoning right there. She also looked kind of, oh, those are ropes from previous saddles. Oh, interesting. Okay, that would make some sense. Ropes, not hairs. Yeah, hairs, that makes a lot more sense. Thank you guys. Thank you for correcting me. So a lot of the other dragons sort of look, I'm not sure what the right word is. They kind of look like sort of like modernish dragons where they all have kind of the same look to them. And they've got like that classic like reptilian head. Like Caraxes has the huge neck bit and the weird feet things. But we've seen we've seen Melees and we've seen Sea Smoke and we've seen Cyrax and we've seen Vermax and also I guess Sunfire. And they all look kind of normal. And Vagar just sort of looks like a prehistoric dragon, something out of the past. Oh, I'm sorry. Different silly hat time. Ah. Yeah, she is OG. She's like a primal dragon, the original dragon, something out of a different age. Like all the other dragons look like T-Rexes and she looks like something from like a hundred million years before. And she is beautiful. Love you, Vagar. Very dinosaur-ish. Yeah, absolutely. The whole Pentos thing is, I wouldn't say it was strange, but it was definitely a development I wasn't expecting. Like we know from Fire and Blood that Damon and Lena they kind of go on this big tour across the free cities and they leave Westeros for quite a while. I guess they bring their kids with them. And it sort of seems like Damon's settling into kind of like a nice domestic life. And that's sort of what you see here. Like he's reading books. We actually hear from Lena later in the episode that he's all he's reading about is the Dragon Lords and Aegon the Conqueror. And he's reading about Valyria and the Freehold. Actually connecting him a little bit with Viserys there. It turns out that the two brothers have a very strong interest in the freehold yes Callista cross i am absolutely freaking out about the laris thing so is my mentions twitter has maxed out how many it's willing to show me so i assume that i am getting a lot of tweets about laris i haven't looked at the youtube channel let's see here any comments yep you're right yeah that one checks out oh god a lot of okay okay we're gonna look at that later so it turns out it's sort of i kind of got tricked by this one because at first i i saw the two of them i was like oh i guess lena kind of soothe the savage beast and daemon that he's no longer the murdering asshole that he used to be that he's like trying to be a good father and that he seems to have a good relationship with lena and when they're sitting down at that dinner table he's not blowing up at anybody he's not making crass remarks he's not trying to piss anybody off it seems like daemon's like become a normal guy again and then of course i made a tweet where i was like Oh, what a surprise to see that Lena and Damon are like maybe one most functional relationship in this story. Of course, forgetting about Corlys and uh, Rhaenys, the best relationship, the, the true OTP, as it were. Lots of people are retweeting me about that <laughs> to let me know I got that one wrong. I know. I know. After the first seven, I got the message. But it turns out what Damon's actually doing, which is kind of strange, is that uh, he's kind of sulking. He's sulking over losing Rhaenyra, I think was the implication, right? That he was, it's been 10 years, he hasn't been back to Westeros. He's kind of like, sort of given up on, I'm not sure if his dreams, but his ambitions. That, you know, he really wanted to marry Rhaenyra and then rule the realm, kind of. He didn't want to push Viserys off of it, but he wanted to be next in line. He kind of wanted to be an important person, and he's this sort of, 
he's kind of become a sellsword, I guess is what Lena was saying, that they just sort of go around and attack Pentos's enemies for them, and they give them a huge manse, and they give them a ton of money, and Damon's not really happy with it, but he's just kind of living, it's sort of like his nine to five job, where he settled down, had a couple of kids, and he kind of is in a, a job that he doesn't really like which Lena notices and tries to talk to him a bunch and he just keeps kind of brushing her off. Lena's obviously very pregnant during this thing. My hat's off to you. Oh, thank you, buddy. Actually, how does my hat look? It looks ridiculous. All right, let's twist this baby around. All right, now it actually looks like a wizard hat. <laughs> yeah, and the Pantashi make an interesting deal to Damon where he they offer to give him the manse and farmland. They essentially say to him, we will make you a Westerosi Lord, Button Pentos. Of course, the deal will be he'll be provided for, he will be made as rich as a king, but he will still be essentially a very high-priced mercenary. He'll be at the service of Pentos. This is kind of the thing with Pentos is, I talked about this in my video about the, the Tattered Prince, that they have a real streak of, they like using people until they're no longer useful and then they kill them. So this is actually a pretty bad offer. Like, if he ever becomes the Prince of Pentos, like the actual Prince, they might have made him it one day. Like, shortly thereafter, they would be they would be killing him as a war went bad or something like that. But it was very sweet to see Bela and Reyna. We got the detail that Reyna's been trying to hatch an egg for quite a long time. Bela already has Moondancer. Bela Targaryen. What would I do without wikis? Cannot remember. This isn't loading. Okay. Dragon people in the chat. Is it Moondancer? That's Bela's... Drag? Yes, Moon Dancer. Got that right. Boom. Got it. I mean, it seems like an okay job, and Damon was open to it, but Lena unexpectedly sort of said to him that, I know you're not happy here. I know you're not happy with what we're doing. Is this about Rhaenyra? And Damon says, like, no, not really, but yes, kind of. I am definitely sulking about the fact that I'm not in King's Landing. I'm not Hand of the King. I'm nobody, you know. I went through all this stuff in the Stepstones, <clears throat> killed his wife, and, you know, none of it has really gone anywhere. Damon's life hasn't gone anywhere. He's kind of exactly where he started, except in Pentos now. Of course, he has a family now. It turns out he got over his problems with, well, let, let's say it this way. Braxy's uh, extended its neck all the way, finally, and uh, had the twin daughters. Actually, I'm not sure if they're twins. One of them looked taller than the other. But they're supposed to be twins, Bela and Reyna. But yeah, Damon is unhappy with what he's doing, but kind of unwilling to change it. Boy, does that sound familiar. Yeah, unsurprisingly, Damon only one wife murdered so far. It's weird to see Damon this like despondent. I know, I know what it is. I was just trying to think of a funny pun. I'm trying to do a lot of funny puns so I can beat disease one day. I will beat him in puns. The silver hair did it for her. I don't know. It didn't do it for him with Rhaenyra. That was one of the things that people kept saying, like, oh, he needs a girl with silver hair. It's like, well, then what happened with Rhaenyra? Silver hair there. Anyway, so that scene ends. Dame's considering about the possibly getting, becoming the pet dragon rider of Pentos. Nothing really resolves setting up some sort of conflict for the future. We go back to King's Landing and there's the training yard scene. So this is the one they've been teasing for quite a while. We see Aegon being a total, total dick again, completely being an asshole. But it's mostly Kristen being a prick in this one. He's training the boys to fight, but as Harwin notices as he's lurking in the background, like the babysitter that he is for his sons, apparently, he's really only showing Aegon and Aemond how to how to do things. He's kind of ignoring Jason Luke. 
Now, on one hand, Jace and Luke are much younger. I think Jace is probably the age of Amond, and Luke is looks like he's like six or seven or something like that. But he's clearly favoring the Allison's children, which, of course, Harwin notices. And Kristen decides he's going to be a total dick here. Well, actually, again, people are being assholes to Amond. Everyone's being an asshole to Amond. Nobody likes him. It's almost like they sense that there's something very dark about him, although they could have created that themselves by being a dick to him as a kid. Sometimes hard to tell which way that one goes. Like, Laris, Laris is apparently pure evil. I don't know about and I think they're trying to set it up that he is made to be what he is, rather than Laris, who who knows why he is, no, he is what he is. So I thought the whole scene was, was interesting because it showed a level of intelligence from Kristen that we hadn't seen before. They, they explained in the after the episode that Kristen, after seeing a third child from Rhaenyra that's clearly Harwin Strong's, has decided that he wants to expose the kids and he wants to expose Harwin. But he can't just accuse them because if he just accuses them, it's hearsay. So his plan is to, he wants to piss off Harwin enough that he'll attack him making his point which is a level of cleverness that Kristen has not displayed yet this is he is firing all on all cylinders with that plan that is like light years away from where he was 10 years ago where with his stupid ass plan about how they're going to get to a boat in Dorne and go to Essos and he's just going to be a sellsword with his lady wife and everything will be fine like this is several rungs above it which makes me wonder if it was his plan but anyway so he taunts Harwin. He also sets it up so that Harwin will get defensive because he sets up Aegon to fight Jace. Everyone, as soon as he does this, Lionel Strong are watching, so's Viserys, so's Harwin, and all of them go like, that's not a fair fight. You should not be setting those two up to fight. It should be Jace versus Aemond. Kristen does this on purpose. He's trying to get Aegon to kick the shit out of Jace using dirty tactics and dirty fighting so that Harwin will react out of fatherly love of his son. Well, the was it clever or was he listening to his emotions and hanging on the kids since they aren't his? This was in the after the episode thing. They clarified that this was a plan. Kristen decided to do this as soon as he saw Harwin was there and was like, I can get him to confess to this, this thing that he's trying to hide. So Aegon fights dirty, which is kind of interesting foreshadowing, I guess, for Aegon as a character. Knocks down Jace, pushes him over, kicks him turns around, does his stupid, like, yeah, I beat up a little kid thing. And Harwin gets angry and Kristen eventually goads him. And he says, you know, it's, it's a little strange commander that you have such a, a protective interest in these boys. You know, I, I wouldn't expect to see something in this, like some, somebody that you're not related to. Like this is something that would happen between somebody and like their cousins or their nephews or their sons, and Harwin sees Red, turns around, punches the shit out of Kristen, which is the most satisfying thing in the entire episode. God, did I love it. Get wrecked, Kristen. And actually, it turns into a reverse of the last episode where Kristen's on the ground, not fighting back, and Harwin is just absolutely laying into the guy. If I didn't know that Kristen survived, and this is obviously what they're playing with for um, people that don't have not read Fire and Blood, you're, you're supposed to wonder right now if Kristen's about to die, if he's going to get Joffrey Lonmouth back. No, he doesn't. This time, guards actually step in because there's not a huge crowd of people around him and pulls Harwin off. He's screaming. Lionel looks extremely distraught. Viserys is like, uh, what the fuck, man? What'd you do that for? He should have killed him. Unfortunately, the guards, actually it was the rest of the Kingsguard got in the way. They pulled Harwin off. They were 
they stopped the fight <laughs> like they did not between the Brackens and, and Blackwood. So he's very excited about this. Kristen's like glowing despite his face being pounded in by Harwin Strong. He's like, got him. This guy's out of here. Like, there's no coming back from this. I proved my point. I said they're his sons. He beat the shit out of me. We got him. Mission accomplished. <laughs> so then we get the the scene between Lionel and Harwin Strong. Eldon, no, this is a Gandalf hat. My, come on, man. So. We catch up on this scene and it's, oh, I forgot to mention something. There was a really haunting image after Rhaenyra left Allison's room that there was blood trailing behind her as she had walked, as she was walking through the, through the red keep to go bring Joffrey to show to Allison. And there's also a moment where Lainor just out of nowhere said the kid's name is Joffrey and Rhaenyra's like, come on, man, I should have a say in the name of my son. And Lainor's like, our son, right? And she's like, yeah, I should I should have more of a say than you do. And that ends up being one of the conflicts here between Rhaenyra and Lainor and keeps reoccurring that their deal that they made early on in their marriage has not super worked out for them. Specifically in the fact that none of the, none of her kids are Lainors and Everybody has noticed and has become a real problem for them. And Rhaenyra says it's because he's always off in the training yard and betting the cutest boys and buying the best horses and going to tourneys and stuff like that. The implication being that he has been at a Stannis level of, of sex with Rhaenyra, which is to say basically none at all. And the idea was they were going to have a few kids and then just sort of go their separate ways. And that has not happened. I guess they basically have not been having sex at all in order to try and procreate just to keep the alliance going. But before we before we get to that, let's talk about the Lionel and Harwin Strong scene. This is a really interesting one where it seems like Lionel is sort of a father out of control or a father who has no control over his sons. He's really laying into Harwin. He's saying like, you know, I turned a blind eye for 10 years and everyone knows what you did. We kn Everyone knows that you've had these kids with Rhaenyra, that you're sleeping with the princess. And this is a huge problem. Like they might kill you over this. And Harwin's like, I don't care. I'm cool. I've got gray hair. I'm in the gold cloaks. I'm untouchable. I've got a princess behind me. Like who gives a shit? It was, it was, it was a really good argument, but I also love the way Ryan Core played it. It was just like, you imagine that he was about to get on his motorcycle and just sort of like put on some sunglasses and a blue jean jacket and get out of there. He was just so cool for what was going on. But yeah, apparently Lionel really has no control over his kids. Harwin isn't really listening to him. He doesn't, he doesn't grasp the danger they're in, which is kind of par for the course for Harwin Strong. He kind of lives for danger. We've seen that from him every scene he's been in. He loves the sight of blood. He was holding onto the elk by himself. He's going through the streets of King's Landing on his own, apparently looking for fights. You know, this is this kind of, this is kind of who he is. He's a little bit like Kristen in that way. There's not a lot of, not a lot of big thoughts going on in Harwin's brain. I love him. He's a great character, like the true himbo that there ever was, but yeah, Lionel's good advice is not getting through. And I, it was also interesting. Yeah. It's not a phase. This is who I am. Harwin's been going through that phase for apparently about 30 years at this point. The, the part of the scene that also worked really well was they had Rhaenyra. She was sneaking up apparent. I guess these are their chambers or something like that. She was going to see Harwin, I think, and said she overhears the conversation. And the, after the episode that they talked about this, that Rhaenyra, as she's listening, she had sort of been under the mis misapprehension that it was only Alicent that was really onto the idea that she was you know, making the break bones with Harwin. 
And when she hears this conversation and she hears Lionel say it, she's like, oh shit, nobody believes me, which I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure about that one, but that was the explanation they gave. That was the reaction she was having. She realized how deep in shit she was that like, if this comes out, she like, they could kill Harwin, like maybe her son's like, she, she now needs to mend fences. She's sort of been telling everybody to go screw whenever they ask about the fact that her kids look nothing like Lenor. But it's something about hearing Lionel say it that she really realizes this is a huge problem. You have your honor and you and I have mine. Yeah, perfect line out of Harwin Strong. And then we see the, the small council scene. So this is actually a really, really good scene. And I think it's probably going to get overshadowed by like the big parts of this episode. But it showed a lot of growth and the, how the dynamics have really changed within King's Landing. So, for one thing, Rhaenyra has, she had her own spot on the small council previously, but now she has her own little ball thing. She's sitting right next to the hand of the king. You know, the seating arrangement kind of makes that point for her. And she's no longer sitting there quietly listening. She's actively contributing to conversations. She's trying to make policy. She's suggesting what they should do. And this is, a, I mean, it's been 10 years, so you would expect her to have picked up some stuff, and she clearly has. This was something I criticized for her for in that uh, my video about Wilm Blackwood, where I was like, this is very poor politicking. You know, she's making enemies instead of allies. Making fun of these guys is not a good idea because they wield way too much power and they have a really low tolerance for being made fun of. That apparently has changed for Rhaenyra and she's much more tactful and she's a lot more knowledgeable about what's going on. And you know that the, that she has a lot more going on because the Brackens and Blackwoods came up again. So that story's not going away. Wilm Blackwood killing Gerald Bracken. That's a thing. They brought it up again, so pay attention to that one. It's going to continue to come up. Basically, they were fighting over nothing, which is kind of typical for the Blackwoods and the Brackens, to be honest. They were fighting over some rocks or a mill, which is kind of what happens every time. They throw these massive armies at each other over nothing. The Tullys are apparently unable to control them, which is why they're, which is why they're petitioning the crown to do something. Like uh, Grover Tully. Also, by the way, they kept the Sesame Street, <laughs> Sesame Street names. Grover Tully. <laughs> I guess they're not changing them. They're just going to go with it. Oh, yes. Thank you, Stephen. Please hit the like button. Also, if somebody could grab the... I can't believe there would be anybody in the world that hasn't seen the Willem Blackwood video at this point. But uh, yeah, if you guys could drop that in the chat for everybody to check out. That comes up. It, it's, it's a name drop, really. It doesn't have a lot to do for what's happening right now. This is more set up for what's coming. But the important thing is Beesberry has apparently lost his mind. He has dementia at this point. He doesn't even know what they're talking about. Orwell is speaking up. But the, the real change is that Lionel Strong's previous spot at Master of Laws, which also used to be Damon's seat, has now has now been given over to Alice. She is sitting on the small council as well. And more than that, she's sort of being the voice of the king. Viserys really doesn't have the energy or the tolerance for this anymore. He's kind of... He's out, he's out to pasture at this point. He doesn't really give a shit. He's, you know, it seems clear that he sees the end coming. That's why he's so excited about his grandkids. And he's kind of leaving the stewardship of the realm to other people, which is, you know, okay. He's been sick for a long time. His arm is withered. He's, he can't be ignorant of how he feels. So, oh, thanks, Emma. Thanks for coming. Woo. So, Rainier tries something big at the small council meeting. And it's something I don't think she would have tried before. She's, she kind of fumbles it a little bit 
And there's an awkward moment where her nipples start lactating because she just gave birth, which was an interesting choice, I guess. But she is recognized after listening to Lionel Harwin's talk that the knives are out, that everyone knows about Jace, everyone knows about Luke, everyone knows about Joffrey, and it's particularly Allison and Kristen are kind of circling in on her. So she needs to do something now. I would say she probably need to do something quite a lot sooner than that, but you know, props for trying. <laughs> she proposes a marriage between Jace and Hull. Also, there's something about giving over dragon eggs and trading them for dragon riders or something like that. Like this clutch will go to these kids and something like that. Viserys thinks it's a great idea. Allison basically says, absolutely not. And the fact that it is rejected shows us that Viserys is really not in control at this point that Allison is really the one ruling, that he does not want to overrule her, which is, you know, typical for him. He doesn't want to make waves and he's used to basically doing whatever Hightower tells him. So I guess that works out. But it is a, a fairly reasonable compromise to avoid the war that Rhaenyra now truly believes is coming, that there's no way out from it. Good, good attempt. It goes nowhere. It probably wouldn't have helped anyway, because Aegon is still the problem. It's not Helena that's the problem. I mean, it would have... They're not gonna they're not gonna settle for having a queen consort. Like Allison is clearly pushing for the throne. So, you know, good luck on that one. A really good try. Rhaenyra gets embarrassed by the lactating nipple thing, and then it just kind of goes nowhere. Oh, I forgot a really good thing from a previous scene. I was talking about this a little bit. Lanor Lanor and Lanor makes this comment that he wants to leave King's Landing because he wants to go fight in the Stepstones. Like the pirates are back. He's going to go kill him. It will be great. Him and Sea Smoke. Clearly the idea is that he's going to go back to war and he's going to take his uh, his boyfriend with him. I, th I think it was Carl Corey this time. You know, get out of King's Landing. And Rhaenyra just kind of goes like, I don't believe you, Lenor. I don't believe you want to go back to war. What's really going on here? And eventually he says this line that is extremely prescient and it kind of tells you that Lenor is aware of what's happening and... He's probably not going to stick around for it or that he doesn't want to, especially because of the, the problems between them about the fact that Lenor is totally aware that none of the kids are his. Is it Carl? I think it's Carl. He says this line, the wise sailor flees the storm as it gathers. Now that is sort of what Corley said previously, where he said a wise sailor never waits for a storm. He either sails into it or he goes around it. And Lenor has chopped off the part about sailing into the storm. He's just wants to flee. And, you know, he wants out of the marriage, basically. He feels like he's done his duty. You have not, Lenor. <laughs> you have not done your duty. Oh, is it Kyle? I thought it was Carl Corey. Coral? Where's Coral? Bringing back the Walking Dead stuff. Yeah, that one goes nowhere. Not a good moment for Lenor. He had a, a bunch of really good ones early on where he's being super supportive. And he's being with Rhaenyra. He's not just fucking off to do whatever he wants. And then this one was just kind of like, eh, are you going to stick around, Lenor? Are you? I'm not so sure. So the next scene that was a really heartbreaking one, and it's Lionel Strong. So Lionel goes to see Viserys after the small council meeting. After Harwin has beat the shit out of Kristen Cole, he goes into his chambers. Allison is there because apparently she's sort of taken up the character take her role this is how she keeps power over Viserys I guess and like 
she decides who can come see him, who can, if he's strong enough to do something, if he has time for somebody, he uses, she uses his health as an excuse to basically rule the realm. I haven't been into the walking dead since the jail. So that was the last episode I saw, but Lionel comes in and says that he can no longer serve us, that he is compromised that there is a cloud hanging over his house. Harwin has been exiled from King's Landing already. He's going back. He's been kicked out of the gold cloaks. That's been his punishment for beating up Kristen. Lionel goes further and he wants to take off the hand of the kingpin and hand it to Viserys and go back to Harrenhal with, with Harwin. Basically, it is a very noble thing he's doing. Like Otto Hightower would never in a million years do this. He would spin it. He would do everything he could to hang hang onto the handship, and it's honestly kind of sweet that he's he's trying to protect Harwin, or at least trying to get him out of the way of being executed for sleeping with Rhaenyra, or I guess gelded and sent to the Wall, which is pretty likely at this point, to be honest. And you know, he's really putting. He's saying it in. in I'm not sure. I'm gonna have to go back and watch it. I think Lionel genuinely is feels that he cannot serve Viserys anymore, that he feels too compromised, that he won't be able to do an effective job. But there's, I think there's definitely also a part of it that Lionel's like, that he knows that he and Harwin are in danger and they sort of need to get the hell out of Dodge before something bad happens. Whoops on that one. Expecting analysis of Helena's propheticness? Oh, that's coming. You better believe I'm on the Dragon Dream chain. Toot toot. Train doesn't stop. God, that was the saddest toot toot I've ever seen. My voice is not doing good. Alicent really jumps on it too. And Viserys is like, yeah, what are you talking about? What's the stain on your house? What's going on, man? And Alicent's like, yeah, Lionel, what's the problem? What's the stain on your house? You should tell us exactly what you're talking about. You need to tell us this right now. It's like, oh, (laughs) Alicent sees blood in the water or smells blood in the water. She's about to pounce. She's going to try and use this to completely screw over when Harun refuses to bite doesn't go anywhere. This has been an ongoing argument that Allison is like, Viserys, these aren't Lanor's kids. And Viserys is basically like, I don't care. As long as nobody, nobody talks to me about it. Like, I just want to live my life enjoying my model and my grandkids. And you know, I don't want no part of whatever you're trying to do, Allison, stop it. Which is, you know, not a super great way to deal with it. Doesn't go well. This isn't going to solve anything. He's just kind of ignoring it. Dude's out to He's like one of those guys that moves down to Florida and he's retired and he's just playing golf every day and not, not a lot bothers him anymore. (laughs) That's kind of where Viserys is at as a king, except instead of playing golf, he's building models of Valyria. Another example of characters trying to prevent something only increase the likelihood of it. Yeah, that, that is definitely true. Lionel, if I were him, I would have asked for Allison to leave the room, but I guess he, that was actually a weird power moment that Lionel came to see Viserys and Alicent said no. So apparently she has the power to send away the hand, at least in the, in the power structure going around in the King's Landing at the moment. But Viserys overrules her and says, no, Lionel, come on in, buddy. But apparently Lionel has been relatively subservient to Alicent, at least recently, that she has really taken control. So we then get maybe the most upsetting scene that as soon as I saw it, I knew it was going to happen. And I was like, Laris, Laris, no, Laris, I know what you're thinking. I know the look in your eyes. I know the crazy stare you have going on. Don't do what you're thinking about doing. 
She totally does. Steve Owen says, why is Cole allowed to stay? Because Allison made it so. Same reason Jamie stole Kingsguard after killing the Mad King. King. Apparently there aren't really crimes for the Kingsguard unless you have kids with a bunch of people. Kristen's only saving grace, the moon tea, apparently. So Allison's venting about all this to Laris, and she's like, Lionel's trying to quit, and Viserys won't listen, and I don't feel like I have enough support to do what I want to. Like, I want Aegon to be king next, but I don't really know how to do this, and I like... She feels trapped because the the marriage proposal is a good one, and so is all the egg stuff and all that other all that other crap. And she's just sort of venting to Laris, and she's like, "I wish I had Otto Hightower. If only my father was back, you know, he would be helping me. I don't want an impartial hand. I want something that's going to help me." And you just sort of see Laris go like, "Oh, okay." Oh my god, that fucking guy. He goes down into the the dungeons. He apparently is Lord Confessor. He has a dungeon full of people ready to turn into his into his minions, <laughs> into his his henchmen. He literally has henchmen. Laris has henchmen. And he picks out a few of them and basically says, like, you guy, you, you, and you, you're all gonna be executed unless you help me. And all of them are like, ah, whatever whatever you want man yeah totally i'm on board I, I will do anything unfortunately laris then darth vader's it and makes the deal worse by cutting off their tongues clearly the idea here is so that if they get caught they can't you know identify laris as the one behind it good god laris i don't i'm gonna have to watch back that scene but at no point did allison like say like boy you should kill your family to help me out but that is what Laris heard, or he already wanted to do it, or I, I, I have to, I'm also going to have to relook at the little th little pin they put on them. I could have sworn it was his club foot, but it definitely could be something else. And I think it's quite clear what's going on here is that it's not Allison using Laris. She's not the one in control of this relationship. Allison, Laris is feeding her information. He's helping her out in ways that she probably doesn't want to know about because she's so prim and proper and uptight and you know she does everything by the book or wants to and she probably doesn't want this crazy psychopath like doing her bidding behind her back but he totally is yeah he was really happy in the black cells that's right madeline he was real happy about it and it's clear that he is trying to make this war happen why he's trying to do that is a very intriguing question something i'm going to be exploring in my next video get ready for that one but at this point in the episode there there's a way out of the war to come the marriage proposal between jace and helene could do it as long as otto's not there but laris essentially just shoves all the chips in and says we are going to war no actually i'm sorry he says you are going to war and i'm gonna make you which is a choice from lord laris I'm okay. So poofball, are we doing spoilers? Not, not really. There's some stuff that like, I don't consider a spoiler every single episode so far. They said there's a war coming, so it's not a spoiler. There's a war coming, but I'm not, I'm not doing a lot of, I'm not doing book spoilers. We did one earlier talking about Helena and Eamon, but I, I kind of gave a warning on that one. So I'm not doing book spoilers as much as I can, but it is so clearly foreshadowed. The war is coming that, yeah. That is not a spoiler at this point. He's pushing for it. God, what else happened? Oh, I'm sorry. I completely skipped over some part. Actually, no, this is, I was live tweeting. So this definitely happens next. So we go back to, to Pentos and the pregnant Lena is having 
the same problem Emma Aaron did, basically. They said in the after the episode, this was intentional. It's an exact mirror of what happened to Emma. Same situation. The baby's half out or whatever. It's not coming out. The guy in charge, he's not a macer because this isn't Westeros. Whoever that guy is, the the beardy dude, <laughs> I guess, like, lo I don't even know what you would call an SOC. They wouldn't have doctors. I don't know what his title was. Whatever his title was, he comes to Damon the same way that Melos came to Viserys and says, what do you want to do? I can maybe save the baby, but we'd have to kill Lena to do it. And Damon basically says no. He does the opposite Viserys did and would rather, I guess, have his wife than another child, which is, of course, an admirable thing to do. How did Damon make a good choice? What? How did Damon make a good choice? He would rather have Lena than another child. Really interesting that they're comparing him to Viserys in that way. It's curious because Damon in this episode is kind of like, oh, Lena, you're this weight on my back and you're always like watching over me and hovering like my mother and all this stuff. And then you listen to Viserys talk about Emma and he's like, I really loved Emma. She was the best, but I, I had to let them kill her to have that son. And Damon's like, fuck the kid. I'm keeping Lena. Very good moment from him. Unfortunately, it quickly goes downhill. So... Oh, Egg, if I think you can, as a moderator, I think you can post links. You can probably post a, a link to your Twitter here in the chat. So you're probably good there. Lena still in her gown covered in blood. I'm assuming they like, they killed the baby to do it. Like, I'm not really sure how they would have done it. I'm sure it was disgusting and horrifying. And I probably don't really want to know. Medieval medicine is the worst. She runs outside and she had previously said that she doesn't want to die. Like she doesn't want to spend the rest of her life as an idle lord basically you know sitting living over their farmland and having this manse and money you know that she wants more out of life she wants to go back to westeros she wants to be at court she wants her and damon and her kids to be important to the realm and to the world at large and she brings up like damon you do too i know you do you read about all these valerians and all the freeholds and all the freehold and everything they did, you're constantly reading about Aegon the Conqueror. He made a toast to Aegon the Conqueror. And Lena makes this comment that she would she wants to die as a dragon rider rather than live her life as a yeah, as like the the, the wife of an idol lord or something like that. And she makes a choice. I'm gonna have to unpack this one. I don't know what she was thinking. I, I, maybe they said something they did say something in the, after the episode. Sarah Hess, I think, was talking about it. But I'm going to have to go back and digest this because she goes outside, runs up to Vagar. She's crying. She's extremely upset and tells Vagar Jakaris, orders Vagar to kill her, committing suicide by dragon. Okay, so we got the, the bug thing here. Let me check this out. All right, let me see if I can pull this up on the stream. Dust. All right, what is this thing? I guess it kind of looks like a bee. Yeah, I think it's a bee. That what it's... I don't remember Laris being associated with bees. Not really sure what this is. Oh, thank you for the subscription. I think that thing's supposed to run all the time. I've probably got more than one. I don't know where it is. Yeah, my guess is bee. Kind of looks like it. Maybe it's a firefly? Like, it's got this, this weird bit here at the end. Maybe it's a firefly? I don't know. I'm sure we'll get an explanation later about what it is. You're making stills of it. Okay. That sounds fun. Hang on a second. Let me pull up my stuff. Yeah, and Vagar goes through with it. Vagar, but she, Lena has to command Vagar multiple times before Vagar will actually 
Oh, that she was going to die. Is that what was going on? Okay. All right. That makes more sense. She ran out of the birthing room and okay. That complicates it even more. I am sure there the So the baby's half out. She runs in front of Vagar and tells Vagar to kill her and the baby rather than go through what happened to Emma. Huh. That is, that is a hard choice. I'm going to have to think about that one. I'm sorry, I don't have good analysis for it. It is part of the problem is that we don't really know Lena. We've seen her at the ball. We've seen her talking to Viserys. And this is the first time she's really been a character. They told us a lot about her and that, you know, that she wants to die as a dragon rider. I guess that's what it, what it's supposed to be. That rather than dying in childbirth, she would rather die in dragon flame, I guess, is what they're going for. Rather than cut open, burned alive. Yeah, that's a good point, Steven. She did get to make a choice. She didn't leave it in the hands of the doctor guy, whatever he is. She didn't leave it in the hands of Damon. She kind of went out on her own terms, which is, yeah, I guess that's what she said earlier in the episode. Very sad moment. You got to feel for Lena. That was extremely sad. Poor Lena. At least she got to choose. Emma didn't get to choose. Emma got attacked like a horror movie villain, like a horror movie victim and cut apart. I guess there are no good options in Westeros if you're a woman, unfortunately. Two childbirths, though, in the episode. Rhaenyra going good and Lena not. I guess a fake out there. I guess when you when you assume that you, if you're a new viewer and you don't know anything about what's to happen and you see Rhaenyra looking like Emma, you see her going through birth, the tension is you think that she's going to have the same thing and instead they kind of ripped it and instead went to, to Lena. Lena does giant childbirth in the book. That is true. They Sarah Hess said something about how they changed how it happened, though, that she wanted to make it so that she died of her own choice instead of the way that they did it to Emma. So I guess that works out. We cut back to the Red Keep. We're, we're not going to go that much longer, guys. We're going to go for like another. We don't have that much longer. We're basically at the end of the episode. We already talked about Laris and stuff. But I think the they really played on your heartstrings in this episode. And they did it really hard with Jace Valarian. Harwin is leaving with, with Lionel. Lionel had... Viserys didn't accept his resignation he's still hand of the king but lionel's like all right well let me take harwin back to heron hall i'll be back in a few months like you guys got this like he's gonna be lord of heron hall one day like i i have to take i have to take care of my family and viserys is like all right all right fine you can go back but before he goes harwin goes to see rainier and he's packing up his stuff he puts his short his sword on he puts his his bag on so i guess he lives there i guess he lives with rainier and the kids, like as their permanent protect. I guess she. I guess he is their sworn sword, sworn shield. I guess that's what's going on there. His stuff is there, or maybe he's just saying goodbye. I'm not really sure. And he gets his stuff, you know, puts on his sunglasses, his his jean jacket with the sleeves cut off. He gets on his motorcycle. He gets ready to ride off into the sunset. And as he walks out the door, little Jace runs after him. And I thought for a second that he was going to yell out dad and that Harwin was going to stop and turn back and run and give Jace a hug and say like, you know, I'll be back or some other Terminator line, I guess, or like, I'll always love you or something like that. Or like Harwin don't go. I thought it was going to be something like that. And instead Jace just stops and Rhaenyra goes after him. Harwin keeps walking and Jace turns to Rhaenyra he, he has figured it out. He heard what was said in the training yard. He saw what Harwin did. And he turns to Rhaenyra and says, is Harwin my father? And Rhaenyra doesn't say yes or no. She says, 
you're a Targaryen, and that's all that matters. So yes, yes, Jace, that is your father. That is walking away. Yeah, he's going out for milk. He's getting on his chopper. He's, he's going to go get his copy of Easy Rider and head out of King's Landing. Oh, good call, Egg. Yeah, very Ned Stark-like. I'll talk to you about your mother next time we meet. Yeah, a lot of Jon Snow in this moment, especially because Jace asked Rhaenyra if he's a bastard. They had they styled Harwin to look a lot like Jon. They had Lionel look a lot like Ned earlier. You have the, the little half-Targaryen, half-strong, or Stark as I think they are, asking if he's a bastard to his mother very clearly playing on this is probably what little john was like also having his heart broken felt awful for jace but this does solve one at least one mystery one of harwin's sons does know he's aware that his father is not Lainor Valar. i'm not sure if luke and john will ever figure it out but definitely jace jace is aware that um, he's not a valarian that he's a targaryen and a strong yeah i've really felt for that little kid Back-to-back heartbreaking scenes, Lena to uh, to Jace. Poor kid. I think that's one of the things I think that shows that this is a really good TV show, that it's really effective, that I am sitting here just feeling bad for a fictional character that we have had approximately five minutes of screen time for. Same for Lena. They're, they're doing a lot with a little. They are really not giving us a lot of characterization. They're not giving us a lot of time with these characters, but they're still writing them effectively and they're still using them in ways that makes you care about them. Obviously, I was going to care about the Strongs anyway, but uh, because, you know, of this, all this, <laughs> all the all the things that I have made and put on YouTube and Twitter and all that other kind of stuff. But yeah, that, that was a that was a heart rich and scene. She also we already talked. Obviously, the they burn down the guys that Laris let loose burns down Harrenhal while well, parts of Harrenhal and they lock in Harwin and Lionel. Two of them burned to death. Gone too soon. Ryan Kaur and what's his name? Gavin. Gavin Spokes did really great jobs of the characters. They didn't get a ton of lines, especially not Ryan Kaur, but totally believable characters. Thought they did an awesome job. Gone too soon. I would have liked to see maybe another episode or two before the fire happened, but uh, they did great with what they had. Curious what kind of grandpa Corlys will be to the kids. A good one. He seems to not give a shit from what we know from Fire and Blood. I guess that's a minor spoiler, although it does end up being a problem and he ends up, yeah, I'm not going to go into those spoilers. I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure what Corlys is going to think. I'm going to retract that one. I'm not sure he doesn't give a shit. He is a smart guy. He's going to realize they're not Lainors. I'm not sure what he's going to think about it. So the last thing that happens in the episode, other than Laris the green seer and the rat and the fire at Heron Hall and him entrapping Alicent and that he's pushing forward this war to come is Rhaenyra's decision to finally go to Dragonstone. Now in Fire and Blood, she's already been there for quite a while. The whole thing with Harwin and how he gets sent away and the fire and what comes out at court, that all changes. That That is done differently. It, Rhaenyra is not at court at that time and all her sons are older too, but you know, adaptational changes. Rhaenyra, with Harwin gone, decides that it's time for her to go to Dragonstone, which is a very... She is finally, I, I think, with her proposal to end the war early, her proposal between Helena and Jace rejected, the, the trading of the eggs, the giving over of dragons, all that's rejected. She knows war is coming, and rather, she sort of takes Corlys's advice, not the one that Lenor said, you know, that when there's a, a storm coming... 
you have to flee. Rhaenyra takes the other way and she's going to go into the storm. Even though she throws it back in Laenor's face, she's not fleeing King's Landing. She's more or less getting ready for what's coming. That she's going to, I suppose, get ready to fight on a different battlefield, as it were. Not, I'm not sure it's a great decision. Laenor's right that giving up her position at court will make it a lot easier for Alicent to do whatever she wants, especially as Viserys continues to deteriorate. And Rhaenyra kind of brushes it off, and you can sort of get her thought process that, you know, Viserys will never disinherit them. She loves her grandson. She loves me. I mean, he loves me. He's This is never going to happen the way Alicent wants. But the the problem is that I don't think she's thinking far enough into the future. I don't think she's thinking about what happens when Viserys dies, how exactly that will be handled, that she's essentially giving up the the ability to instantly contest whatever Alicent and Otto, who's obviously coming back, will do. It is a decision, though, I guess. It's a very Damon decision. She's just going to Dragonstone. And I guess, she, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that decision, that she's doing it in response to losing Harwin, and feel uh, I th she has to feel like she's lost right? That the war for the court, Allison has won. The high towers have won and that she's going to focus on being more Targaryen, I guess. Maybe getting the dragon advantage, that kind of thing. Although they're leaving behind their dragons, I think, unless they take Vermax with them and Luke's dragon and eventually Joffrey's, I think. It's a very Daemon thing to do, I suppose, to go, <laughs> to go sulk on Dragonstone. Yeah. I'm not really sure what to think about it. I'm sorry. I've been talking for like two hours. I've probably been ignoring the chat. Throw stuff in there. Just at me, bro. Whatever questions you want. Anything I didn't cover. Anything you want me to go back to in these, these last few minutes. Throw it in the chat. And then we'll go ahead and get out of here. Also, 340 people here. Hey, guys. Thanks for showing up. Also, thank you for slamming the like button and all that stuff. Already covered Laris and the Green Seer stuff. I'm getting tagged nonstop on Twitter. People <laughs> want to know what I think about Laris now. Arax, that's it. I don't know the dragons well enough. I really need to make the dragon Pokedex video so I can like actually learn them. Larissa's motivation. <laughs> There's a lot of ways to go with Laris's motivation. The obvious one is that he wants to be powerful in the realm, that this is just like a chaos's ladder kind of move for him, that he's killing his father and his brother, not to take Harrenhal, but because of making sure that he has power over Allison and the greens going forward. I think that's a perfectly understandable, well, okay. It's not understandable how he went about it, but the 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 motivation behind it is fairly common in Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire. The second son who has nothing grasping for more. But it is such a crazy thing to do. In the Laris video, part two I'm going to be putting out, I suggest something else. Something a little bit more magical. Don't want to spoil it now, but I don't think Laris is playing just in the material world. I think he is playing on the level of green seers and weirwoods and on time scales and events that nobody else understands that he's doing it on. I don't think he's just Ramsey Bolton again. I think he's far more than that. Like, but based on what you've seen so far and what's definitely in the show, you could definitely get the idea that he's just kind of Ramsey plus Laris. I mean, Ramsey plus Littlefinger. Who got the shirt? Don't know what shirt you're talking about. Laris's monologue while the rat was on camera. Absolutely. That's me going into my video. I think this is theory confirmed. He is definitely a green seer and a skin changer. I think that's what they were going for. Oh, spoiler about Adam. Yeah. Shh. Spoilers. Yeah, my voice is going. I think she is simply having a new place to consort about future steps in the dance away from the court's eyes. 
That could be true. I think she's trying to gonna redouble because that's where all the big dragons are. That's they're all on Dragonstone. The small dragons are in the dragon pit. So it could be kind of a forward thinking play, I guess. Hoping that her kids end up taking like, you know, Vermithor's alive, Silverwing's alive. All the wild dragons are the biggest ones. Well, okay, so there's the wild dragons and there's the riderless but formerly tamed, well, not tamed dragons. The currently riderless dragons. And those are all the huge ones. Those are all on Dragonstone. So it could be something like that. Yeah, we already did the raffle thing. Lola one. I know people are catching up as the stream is going. They came in late. So sorry, that already happened. Study, understand, Rixie, and learn dragon names on cue cards. I need, I need like flashcards for them or a video. That would do it too. Christian de Abyss, are any of Rhaenyra's sons green seers? Not officially. I don't know that there's, there's a lot of strangeness around Jace and he has, I don't want to spoil what's going on with him, but he has a lot of strong, like connections. Oh man, that's okay. Nothing official there. As far as we know, unlike with Helena and possibly Aemon in this episode, I have not seen any direct hints that Rhaenyra's kids have any kind of like skin changing or green seeing, but they are clearly developing characters that did not have them in the history, but will in the show that it was ignored or the maesters never found out about it. So the fact that her kids are all Targaryens and they're all strongs, therefore they're all first men, like a blood raven kind of thing happening would not be outside the realm of possibility. All right, let's see here. Not to be corny, but we're on the dance floor just waiting for the dance. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of sit around and wait for a little bit. I mean, clearly they're waiting. Allison's waiting for Viserys to die. Whenever that happens is clearly when things are going to go. He's the only thing holding it back at this point. And Otto's coming back. That's not going to be good. Nettles. Yeah, hopefully we'll see Nettles. I'm not sure we're seeing all the actual wild dragons. I think they said they're only doing like 19 out of 21. If I had to guess, that means Grey Ghost is gone. Hopefully not the cannibal. The cannibal's great. We should also see, see Sheep Stealer, but uh, fingers crossed on that one. Dragon Den. Isn't Lainor a prince consort now? So shouldn't they call him prince instead of Sir Lainor? It's kind of weird. I don't think so. I don't think they call him prince consort. He'll become king consort, I think, when Rhaenyra takes the throne, but not really sure. I do not keep up that much with monarchy to know no difference. Let's see here. Chris Trollman says moving to Dragonstone is definitely the hard power move, but leaving her house defenseless in court seems ill-advised. Yes, that does seem ill-advised to just sort of give up the red keep and the small council to, to Allison. Especially, I don't think she knows that Harwin's dead yet when she leaves. And Lionel, if she knows that, if she knows they're both dead, I don't think she should have left. It seems like a bad idea, but I think she did it before she heard. 17 dragons, okay. So yeah, there's some getting cut. Hopefully, I want to see Cannibal. Cannibal's the best. A very chaotic dragon, as it were. Am I revealing that a lot of my characters are like the worst ones? All my favorite characters? Not all of them. I do like the uh, the wholesome characters too, but... There's always a soft, soft spot in my heart for the crazy ones like Euron, Laris. I actually didn't like Littlefinger and Varys that much because they just seemed to be chaos. And there was, it's, I don't know. They seemed too detached from what they were doing. They seemed too much like, like plot devices more than people. Laris and Euron are fully fledged characters in this universe. And they have, they are doing more than just stirring the pot for the author. Did we get three new dragons this episode? So we saw Vermax, we saw Sunfire or Dreamfire, we saw Vagar. So yeah, three new dragons. You, you'd have to name the one underneath the dragon pit. The, the flames made it too hard to see what it was, but they name dropped Sunfire. So I'm guessing that's who it is. But also that dragon looked pretty big. Sunfire is pretty young. I would guess that was Dreamfire, just based on the size. 
Oh, they're getting all the dragons? Cool. Good boy and chaos. The two sides, yeah. Grey Ghost is relatable, but doesn't do anything. So I would be surprised that they put a Grey Ghost in. Chris Thalman, what'd you think about the Damon scenes? Really seemed like he was forcing himself to stay away from King's Landing and politics and spare himself more family drama. I thought it was interesting to see Damon kind of depressed that he had done so much. He had killed Rhea Royce. He had taken this crazy chance on trying to seduce and then marry Rhaenyra. She had gone to the Stepstones for years. She had made the gold cloaks and all that stuff. And it really just, it feels like it just kind of hit him that it didn't get him anywhere. Now, it got him Lena Valarian, who is a wonderful person and a terrific partner from the sounds of it, and it got him Bela and Reyna, but apparently that's not enough for him. And that's kind of what Lena kept saying, is like, your ambition is way bigger than the life you're living. Like, let's use your ambition. Kind of interesting, though, they linked him a lot with Viserys this episode. They had him reading books, they had him studying history and Valyria and the Freehold and all that stuff, so they had him go through the same thing with Emma and actually make the right choice. When Viserys made the wrong one. And I know that Viserys, going back to the Emma Aaron thing, is he, a lot of people have said like he had no choice. It was they were both going to die or just Emma. But the choice he made that was the really wrong one is that he didn't talk to her and he didn't let her into onto the, he didn't let Emma decide her fate. And for better or for worse, Damon the death for Lena. Yeah. I'm not sure what he's going to do in the aftermath with, with his daughters. I mean, they're going back to, Driftmark from the the preview of the next episode, but this is kind of the time when Damon's at his least least chaotic. You know, he's not doing a whole lot, so I'm kind of curious what's going to kick him out of it, if anything will, or how they're going to do that. Kind of interesting. Also, one thing to I think to point out again that I enjoyed from this episode is they did show that Aegon does not really have animosity towards Rhaenyra's kids. He actually gets along with them way better than his own siblings. He clearly thinks Helena's weird. He picks on Aemon, but he and Jace were basically giving each other high fives and Luke was in on it. So it's clearly going to be set up as a manufactured war between the two sides that if they had their own way, Aegon would just be standing in windows and jacking off into the wind and playing pranks on Aemon with his, his nephews and, you know, that he doesn't want, he doesn't hate them. He's, he's not out to get them. That if he ends up that way, it's going to be because Allison and Otto made him that way. Does Damon know prophecy? There's a line from one of the trailers they haven't used yet where Damon says, prophecy dreams and make us kings dragons did, which I have taken to be that he doesn't think anything of them, that he's probably saying that to Rhaenyra when she's explaining Aegon the Conqueror's prophecy. He hasn't, there hasn't been any sign that Damon has dragon dreams. It would certainly be a twist on his character, a big one, and explains some things that happen later. But uh, as far as yet, no Damon dragon dreams, just Helena and something very strange going on with Aemon that he could, he hears music instead of dragons roaring, that he was lured down into the dragon pit by the sound of music. I don't think it was the backing track. I think you were supposed to understand that it was it, it seemed directional. I'm going to have to rewatch it, though. But I definitely think there's something strange going on with Aemond. How many writers has Vagar had at this point? Ooh, we don't know before Visenya. But I think this is... I think Lena's rider number four for Vagar. Visenya... I think some of Jaehaerys and Alicent's... Alicent's kids rode him. Two of them, I think. And then Lena. So I, three or four, I think. Oh, thank you, Maxim Howard. Yes, Laris is definitely a skin changer. And I think that's one of the things that's really interesting about... Laris to be eventually be revealed as these things because 
there's a lot of sense especially from game of thrones that skin changers and wargs are good things that they are a net good because they're the starks and you like the starks and the characters that use it are you know the ones you're rooting for well brand kind of goes really not great at the end but skin changing and green sight are just they don't have any kind of moral implication to them and in fact the books are way more down on the power and how it can be used and how it can be used to exploit and especially what it does to hodor like the scene where brand describes how hodor feels when he steals his body is the thing of nightmares so i think what they're doing with laris is they're making him much more a like a Vermeer six skins kind of character and they're going to go or someone more like Euron Greyjoy. They're going to go way down the this what these green seers and skin changers can do is not good. The Starks for the most part were our good people and that they are war is kind of incidental to that. They, they don't mean the same. I think that's what they're doing with Varys. Was I right about the writers? It's, it's at least three. I think it's four. Yeah, the Wildling Warg. That's who I mean. Varamir Sixkins. I should probably put that in my video. Remember Varamir Sixkins when you're rewriting the script. Got it. I think that's probably about it. I got to go to bed. I have to read my my overflowing mentions. Everybody's tweeting me about Laris right now. So I'm going to go check that out. Hopefully they're nice mentions. But also just to clarify, I was aware the whole time when I made that video and the live stream that passed about Laris that he is a terrible, horrible, morally bankrupt person. And he, it doesn't get better. Okay. Like him killing Lionel and Harwin is, if you can believe it, the opening note to the symphony of Laris. This is not, it gets so much worse. You aren't going to believe the things that he does. And this is only the things that we know about from Fire and Blood. It is, you are going to hate Laris because, yeah, get ready for that one. Anyway, thanks everybody for coming. Thanks for the super chats. Morally, Steven Stark, Arya Stark. Wow, two Starks. Sweet Melissa, all the new subs and everything. A lot of you guys have joined in the last couple of weeks. Keep looking for, this will be happening after every episode if it's your first time. I'm going to try for two videos this week and some and a few shorts if you don't know youtube shorts are tiktok for youtube so look out for those and we are just getting started this this crazy train has no brakes so yeah i will see you all next time I'm gonna let my voice recover and yeah have a good night <laughs>